everybody. This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling. And this week, we are going to be doing another edition of our Spotlight series. And before we get to that, how was your Christmas, Leonard? It was pretty good. I am wearing one of my Christmas presents from my wife, Jenny, which is, for those of you on YouTube, can see it. It is a Macho Man Randy Savage shirt that says the cream of the crop. Very nice. Famous promos. Uh, she got me a couple other wrestling shirts and a uh, few, few other things. Uh, at the time of this recording, we haven't got to visit my family yet uh, for to do our Christmas exchange, but we're going to do that. Uh, how about you, you and your Christmas? It was very good. Thank you. I'm wearing a shirt as well, Heart Foundation. Um, which is in the style of NBA Jam. Uh, it's the homage series, uh, which I highly recommend simply because they're soft style shirts, which uh, is kind of the only thing I like to wear these days. Um, but anyway, I'm glad that your Christmas was good. And I hope everybody had a good new year. By the time you watch this, mm -hmm. it will be 2022. And uh, I will say uh, we're sorry to hear about the passing of Corporal Kirshner aka Leatherface. We did an episode on him and uh, we both learned a lot more about him. And I, you know, in, in my case, I definitely got a lot more respect for him after learning just how extensive his career was over in Japan and whatnot. Uh, very sorry to hear of his passing. Way too young. Unfortunately, you know, it seemed like heart issues there, which is a, uh, a very common tale with wrestlers who have retired and, you know, because, you know, who knows what they put their body through over the years that that, that, that happens. But uh, very sorry to hear about that. And uh, still a lot going on in the wrestling industry. Just uh, as we're speaking, uh, Tony Storm up and left WWE, asked for her release and got it. After being in the title picture, title picture I should say, with uh, Charlotte Flair. Very interesting stuff. Um, Maybe when Leonard does his uh, month-long journey into modern, current wrestling, we can uh, talk more about why she decided to do that, because I have my own thoughts. But Yes, well, if I remember correctly, I said I would watch AEW for a month. I don't think I have it in my schedule to watch WWE and well, AEW and whatever yeah, else. I mentioned that because logic would tend to lean that she will show up in AEW because as much as they keep building the roster, it's mostly been male talents. I mean, I know last night Mercedes Martinez debuted on AEW, um, but there is still room in the female division there. Um, so I would guess that you will see her in AEW. So, yes, I believe I remember reading there was a, a tweet from Britt Baker that, vaguely alluded to her possibly coming over or welcoming her or something. Yeah, it was like, well, what I saw was just, you know, Britt Breaker uh, tweeting out a picture of Tony Storm yes. with, the, uh, with the NXT UK champion belt. So, it, you know, it, it, I think it would be a better fit for her there. Um, I, I would, I would assume she left because she could probably see the writing on the wall, which is you kind of become, you know, cannon fodder for, the top people there and then you're kind of just moved down the card and out of the picture. But. You know, and again, I haven't started watching AEW yet, but from what I know, they have 
some great female talent. They have Serena oh, yeah. Deeb and Thunder Rosa. Uh, you said Mercedes Martinez wrestling debut. Tony Storm comes over. I think Britt Baker uh, has been the cream in that division since maybe the beginning. Allusion to the shirt I'm wearing again. And it's just that they haven't really maybe booked them strongly or you know, a lot of wine I was listening from Jim Cornette's podcast, and he puts you a gotta, lot of you gotta on, stop doing that. <laughs> yes, on Kenny on Kenny Omega's fetish for these for these Japanese wrestlers. And I do have to say, when I was watching AEW early on, I did see the uh, I believe it was the match that crowned the first women's champion, which was Riho versus Nyla Rose, and it was one of the worst matches I'd ever seen between two women. Uh, you know, on a, on a national scale. And a lot of that had to do with, with size. Um, not only are these, or they do drastically different sized opponents, but they don't know how to wrestle for their size. You know, Nyla doesn't know how to, to, to wrestle in a, in a big person style. Riho doesn't know how to wrestle with like, she's tr like doing power bombs on Nyla Rose. It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, and again, this is something from what two years ago when they first started. But from everything I know, the talent is there, but maybe not the booking yet. Well, I mean, I will say this: uh, AEW has put on storylines involving women that doesn't involve the title that I have found interesting. Specifically, one recently with uh, Serena Deeb. You know that her storyline didn't involve a title at all. When was the last time you can think of that happening? were a storyline involving female talent that didn't involve the championship or a championship of any sort was interesting to you just because of the feud itself. Um, it doesn't happen that often at all, but uh, I, I they, there is certainly room for improvement. They, you know, they have a new title coming there, uh, the TBS title, which is mm -hmm. you know, a weird name, but it is what it is. They're serving their masters, so to speak. Yeah. So, but anyway, this week, as I said, it is Spotlight Series time, and we are going to be talking about Sam Houston, which was a idea proposed by Leonard, and we'll get to why towards yep. the end of the episode. Although anyone who has watched the show probably has a good idea as to why I would want to cover somebody, but we'll get to that. Right. So let's get some... Uh, early years going on Sam Houston. He was born Michael Maurice Smith, October 11th, 1963. And he stands these days anyway, at six foot one. His family was very big in the wrestling business. His father is Grizzly Smith. His big brother is Jake Roberts and his little sister is Rockin' Robin. And, uh, you know, obviously there is a really great Dark Side of the Ring episode out there about this family and what they had to go through and we don't need to reiterate any of that here i highly recommend checking it out it is really really good uh now i would like to say about the family connection is that you know as a kid at the time i had no idea that they were all three related i didn't find out till later on and then was became you know kind of quite surprised i can kind of see the family resemblance between robin and sam not so much jake but again jake was a half brother uh, and, and, and I was thinking today, that's kind of odd as opposed to today's wrestling where, where everybody knows, yeah, Bo Dallas and Bray Wyatt are brothers and Mike Rotunda is their dad. He's married to Barry Windham's sister. Like that's just out there because of the internet and, and how 
deep fans get. But back then, you would have no idea who was related to who. So when I found that out, which I don't know, was probably maybe the, the early days of the internet in the late 90s, I was, I was surprised by that. And of course, I didn't yeah. know anything about Grizzly Smith at the time learned later and again as you mentioned the dark side of the ring episode will will tell you all you need to know about the uh we'll just say the family dynamic there yeah no i i agree with you about the internet factor i also would say that uh i don't think any of the uh kids involved in this picture back then were eager to uh get their connection to Mm -hmm. their father out there and you know what maybe he wasn't eager to spread that around either i have i don't know but that's just a a guess of mine um whereas you mentioned bo dallas and uh and bray wyatt who one would assume are very proud of their father and have a good relationship with him. yeah more or less but you know that was something that was never really talked about on air i don't think there may have been some wink wink nudge nudges to the fact they were related uh but it wasn't really advertised but again everybody knew just a side note over here like i always thought it was weird that they decided to change uh joe hennig's name to curtis axel but then tell everybody he was kurt hennig's son like then why did you change his name right well since we're on this topic Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Braun Breaker. Yes. In NXT. Look, you know, he is still coming along. He's got the size, I think, for how green he is. His promos are just fine. But he looks like a Steiner. He dresses like a Steiner. He does Steiner moves, but he's Braun Breaker. This is one of those cases where WWE slash Vince is doing this, oh, I've got to own the name thing to mm-hmm. a ludicrous level, in my opinion. I, I don't... Right. You're going to make more money off of him as a Steiner. You can push him Absolutely. better as a Steiner. Absolutely. But then, if he were to leave, they might not own that name and, you know... Because it's his name. God, yeah. for, God forbid. But uh, Braun Breaker, to me, is such a stupid name. I'm sorry. Like I said... Uh, the in-ring work that he's done with Tommaso Ciampa and all those other guys, I've, I've enjoyed so far. I don't watch NXT 2.0 anymore because of so many people leaving. But Braun Breaker is a pretty good prospect for what it's worth. I just simply think his name is cartoonish. But Because they didn't want to call him Bone Breaker. Which, yeah. <laughs> call him Bone Breaker. Put him under a mask. Let him season for a couple years. And then, you know, introduce him as... You know what? What's his real name? Kid Kid Steiner. Right, Kid Steiner. <laughs> Kid Steiner. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, back to Sam Houston. Yes. Um, he grew up in the wrestling business, as I said, and mm-hmm. he was a wrestler in high school. Uh, I read a really interesting article on Pro Wrestling Stories where they talked about his his early life and the fact that he was never able to like complete a year at any school fully because he was constantly moving around from territory to territory with his father uh he did do really well at amateur wrestling in high school and uh there's also a story when he was a junior of him you know dying for two minutes on an operating table due to a throat infection that he was getting operated on for um so this guy's had quite quite the life he really really has um but uh 
Yeah, and obviously he would eventually get into pro wrestling um, as if he really had any other choice. Uh, he would start wrestling in 1983, and he would initially be in championship wrestling from Florida uh, with people like Dusty and so on and so forth. In 1985, he began working for Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. He was the protege of Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA, and that kind of propelled him into a feud with the four horsemen, the, the horsemen, which included Tully Blanchard, Ole Anderson, and Arn Anderson, would break his arm during a six-man tag team match. Um, there's even a promo I came across where they Dusty Dusty gives the promo. Sam Houston doesn't really say much. Where Sam Houston has like 24 stitches in his forehead. Um, yes, because of uh, because of Tully. And uh, it's, a, it's a really good promo by, by Dusty. And, you know, Sam Houston just, gosh, he looks like a little boy, you know, in, at that time, time of his career. Yeah, he was only 19, 20 years old. I believe they make uh, a point that he was 19 at the time of the promo, but he may have been a little older than that. Right. Uh, I would have to do the math. But, they, but I did watch that promo. And there's another promo later I watched I want to talk about. But you can kind of see here that I think one knock was always against Sam that he wasn't a good promo. And here you've got Dusty doing all the talking and right. he's Houston is standing there. And he doesn't seem to know what to do. Like he doesn't know where to look or to have what look to have on this face. And, um, you know, I think that's very telling, but again, he's 19 years old. Yeah. Right. He grew up in the business, but um, you know, and this is one thing that, that, Again, I'll save it for later. This is part of my WWE thought, so we'll get to that. But as far as promos go and wrestling, I think there's a couple key, you know, minuses to him at this period. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree, and we'll elaborate on that. Mm -hmm. um, he would feud with Crusher Khrushchev, uh, aka Demolition, Demolition Smash, and right. Leonard's favorite, the Repo Man. Um, over the NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship, uh, which he won in January of 1986. He then got into a feud with Black Bart, who beat him for the title a few months later. Um, he would also uh, form a cowboy-themed tag team with Nelson Royal uh, during his stint there in 1986. And so we will pause there just to discuss one of the matches that Leonard partially finished, which is, you know, because I discovered what it was very late and yeah uh, shortly before we came on air and i was watching it right before we wanted to get going i didn't want to hold this up but i watched about about half of it and right. you can fill me in on the other half which is the uh match with crusher khrushchev where he won the uh, mid-atlantic title and uh it's one of the longer matches that you would see with him now the clip that i found on facebook also has full commercials <laughs> from the period which is uh always odd to me but you know this is because somebody taped it and transferred it to online so i absolutely love it when they leave the commercials in i love watching because that's a real time capsule oh yeah of the period that you're just not seeing the show but the commercials that accompanied uh, the show especially the old tbs oh, because, because tbs had i would say maybe very specific commercials to tbs not just for their programming but they seem to have different maybe sponsors and say what the networks would have. No, absolutely. Um, but that is a good match. Uh, the, you know, he did, he did emerge victorious. Uh, there were a lot of shenanigans involved at the end. Um, 
because of the feud going on between the road warriors and uh, the Russian uh, characters that were there. So uh, yeah, if you can find that one, I, I absolutely recommend checking that out. He would uh, then from 1986 to 1987 kind of hop around. Uh, he was at the Central States Wrestling uh, territory for a while, feuding with Bulldog Rob Brown and Bill Dundee. He would then go on to the Universal Wrestling Federation, um, where he teamed with Terry Taylor. And then eventually he would move on to the World Wrestling Federation, making his debut in May of 1987 and he would eventually make his television debut later in October the end of October of 1987 where he would defeat uh Danny Davis dangerous Danny Davis the former referee um but getting back to when he first debuted he would defeat Sika at a house show and he would be teaming up with Ted DiBiase who was a babyface at that time which i find interesting uh just no i do not remember that but i read that myself and and i at that time and still today they will try stuff out at house shows to see how it plays before they they view it on television um oddly enough to reference bray white again dan weber and i friend the show dan weber uh, and i saw at a house show at the wheeling civic center bray wyatt months before he appeared on television he had the name, he had the music and the, and the entrance and the clothes and everything. And we were all like, who is this guy? This is weird stuff because we right. didn't have any context. But they had, but we saw him before his debut because they were trying it out on a house show. So again, I find it very weird that they, because I believe Ted was a, a face for a, for a lot of his career, including when he was in the WWF in the very early 80s. I think this was even prior to Vince Jr. taking over. Uh, so, but imagining Ted now as a face is, is a little, little tough. Yeah. And they would eventually face each other when, uh, Ted DiBiase became the million dollar man in, in one of the many squash, uh, matches that, uh, Sam Houston was in. Uh, mm-hmm. but uh, that was not the case here at the beginning. He was given wins against some of the enhancement talent like, uh, Jose Estrada, Barry Horowitz and others. Um, he wasn't on television a lot, but, uh, he would uh, feud with outlaw Ron Bass in matches that a lot of them ended in draws. As I said, he had a feud with Danny Davis, which uh, it can never be as, as much as I, you know, enjoyed the Danny Davis stuff when he was a heel. It, it can't be a, you know, a great sign of hope when that's your, the feud that you're put in. Um, yes. But uh, anywho, um, he would, they would trade wins uh, from time to time. He would team with Scott Casey as a kind of a cowboy team and uh, for a while. And uh, he did do a few things with uh, brother Jake Roberts, uh, I guess, you know, some run-ins and whatnot. He was in the first ever Royal Rumble, uh, January 24th, 1988 and later made his first pay-per-view appearance at WrestleMania 4 when he was in the uh, 20-man Battle Royal. And he would then get into a series of house shows with the Big Boss Man, and he would face other people like King Haku, Frenchie Martin, Kurt Henning, Terry Taylor, the Red Rooster, uh, Steve Lombardi, and uh, 
he had did have a tag team with hillbilly jim which seems like it would fit better than you might think i don't know i didn't find any of those matches but no i like the idea though i think it was it the personalities was you have a cowboy and a hillbilly they're kind of adjacent to each other the fact that jim was a more exuberant personality and a better talker than sam um i really like i really like the idea of that because i could see you know, Sam being the guy who takes most of the beat down and then Jim cleaning house at the end type of thing. I think that could work. Right. Yeah. Um, he would make his second pay-per-view appearance um, with when he actually teamed with the Ultimate Warrior, Blue Blazer, Jim Brunzel and Brutus Beefcake um, at the sur- second annual Survivor Series. Uh, they would win against Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine, Ron Bass, Bad News Brown and Danny Davis. And so at this point, we're leading into 1989 and he can't really move past the lower level of competition. He wasn't Mm -hmm. working a lot. And when he did work, he was at this point, a glorified jobber only he had a gimmick and music. Um, But so he he was more of a jobber to the stars as, as they they kind of call it, you know, that's what they should all, that's what they should all be called. Am I right? Jobber to the stars. That sounds like a really good way to, uh, to describe it. Yeah. Well, you know, jobbers lose to everybody. Jobber to the stars can beat a jobber, but can't beat anyone higher than that. Right. And, And as a kid, I vaguely remember Sam Houston. It's one of those names that like years later, someone said Sam Houston. I went, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. And it was from his stint in the WWF. And I think it was primarily from the few television appearances that, that he had primarily the Royal rumble and, and survivor series being in those. And of course there was promotion that he was involved in heading into those pay-per-views, but I do remember him popping up on TV every now and again, and not thinking a whole lot of him. Again, it was a generic cowboy character. Even as a kid, I recognized there was a hierarchy, you know, this guy can beat this guy, but he can't beat that guy uh, type, type of thing. And recognizing that with him. And one thing I, I remember thinking of even as, as a kid, and I know this is something that we're going to talk about, is that I thought he was just kind of scrawny and awkward looking. Right. And when you, yeah, it, 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 you compare him to his brother, Jake Roberts. Jake was never a, a muscle man, was never a, a bodybuilder. But he's just a naturally big dude and and sam isn't and even on a lot of the matches i watched a lot of the commentators would mention that how sam was light or or you know they would use kind of euphemisms for you know he needs to put on some weight he was uh, quick. Type of thing. he was this he was he, that like yeah they would they yeah. would do that a lot and you know now that you you did now that you brought this up it is worth mentioning um you know because there are clips out there with bruce pritchard and uh you know tony shivani and other people yes I, and, and i watched those yes right they talk about that they mention his size and the fact that he needed to fill in a little bit or and arn anderson referred to the fact that you know it was his choice but he didn't go to the gym a lot, you know, as much as some of the other guys. And, you know, some people out there might think, well, who cares? You know, Jake Roberts might not have gotten to the gym a lot. Jake Roberts had psychology and just some of the best promos that you would ever see going for him. Um, Sam Houston didn't have all that going for him. So the Mm -hmm. fact that he didn't work out maybe as intensely as some of the other guys 
it is important because in one of the clips that Leonard sent me, you see him next to superstar Billy Graham. And when you see those two next to each other, there is in your head, no thought to the fact that Sam Houston might win. I mean, you know, superstar Billy Graham is like chiseled out of granite. And on a side note, he wore a skull t-shirt in this match. Yes. He had a mustache and I got a stone cold vibe. Like I really did. Like people always joke about how Hulk Hogan, you know, used so many of superstar Billy Graham's things for his character. Like there was a definite stone cold thing going on there with his look, which I don't ever remember superstar Billy Graham just having a mustache, but you know. Well, this was, this was mid-Atlantic. This was during a period where Billy Graham himself admits that he was living on cocaine. And <laughs> it's easy to see that when he's doing all the martial arts gyrations. Yes, yes. He basically watched a bunch of Bruce Lee movies and was so high that he thought he could do karate. <laughs> and the reason I sent it to you was the promo he does before the match is just him saying things that don't exist. Like he's a master yeah. of high tie and low tie and mid tie. And uh, he, he tells the story about how him and his manager, Paul Jones, went to the Congo and he put the full Nelson on a 900 pound gorilla and killed <laughs> the gorilla. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then during the actual match, uh, they don't even show much of it. That's how little right. they, they give to this match is because they cut to Dusty Rhodes, who has bags of money, right. <laughs> just, just sacks of money just sat on the set and he's like was it ten thousand dollars to get a match with telly blanchard yeah and that's how little focus they're giving to this match against sam houston and billy graham uh is that they, they just they basically put it in a little box in the corner so dusty rose can show off the bags of money that he has yeah and that's why i showed it to you because it starts out batshit crazy and just keeps going down that path yeah and also sam houston is in it and he gets beat. Yeah, and Sam Houston was in it because I was looking at Sam Houston matches and it came up and it was kind of a longer clip. But I go, oh, maybe this is a longer match. It wasn't. It was just because it contained the pre promo with Graham and Paul Jones. Right. And so, you know, you look at some of the sizes and like, I'm not a guy who is really big on like, oh, they've got to be a certain height. And, you know, Sam Houston was 6'1, weighed 277. You know, so it wasn't a small guy. Like if you look at him in there with um, people like like with Terry Taylor uh, or some of those guys, like he he's not small, but mm-hmm. he clearly it wouldn't have hurt him to fill in. Tone up, yeah. tone up, right? As, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but before we move on here, his last match. Um, was against the Barbarian February 7th, 1991 in the WWF. And, you know, because he would continue to just be a, uh, as Leonard said, jobber to the stars, he left WWF and joined World Championship Wrestling. And he would debut for them April 17th in Alabama, where he defeated Jack Victory. And I would say, you know, he would face people like the Diamond Stud, who is Scott Hall, Larry Zabisco, Arn Anderson, Steve Austin, uh, one man gang. Uh, but the most notable match, which is available on YouTube was against Ric Flair. And it's about the same as any other Sam Houston match that we found, mm-hmm. which is, it's about four five, six minutes long. And, uh, it's pretty much Sam Houston getting beat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the fact that he got to work with Ric Flair to me is, is 
a cool part of your career, no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, at this point, I, when I watched the Ric Flair match, I, at that point, Leonard, I got to thinking to myself, like, does this guy have a finisher? <laughs> so I looked at some of his matches and one match, he did use a flying bulldog off the top rope a- as a finish. And he also has a, I don't know if I would call it his finisher as much of a trademark move, uh, which is the flying head scissors uh, that he used a lot. Too. Yeah, and, 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 he do, and he does use a, a standard bulldog as well as a finisher. I, I, I believe it was the match I watched with Barry Horowitz that he won with a standard bulldog. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he did win some matches. And like I said, he had entrance music in WWF and uh, I, I assume in WCW as well. Um, so he would, uh, be there for a little bit, but, uh, then from 91 to 93, he would kind of be on the independent circuit where he would wrestle for the United States Wrestling Association. And he, uh, which had, uh, bought up the world-class championship wrestling promotion. Um, he would again feud with people like Black Bart. Um, he also faced a guy, which is a great name called bull pain which um i i don't know who that is but I will oh, i'm trying to remember i do think he is somebody but i don't remember exactly i'll see if i can't look this stuff frank while frank, frank Vizzy, um who uh went by bull pain rick gantner and psycho so there you go yeah i'm looking yeah i just found that myself and i don't think i necessarily remember him but he was around so there you go maybe we'll have to do bull pain at some point I would love that. And uh, yeah, so at this point, he would be wrestling as the Midnight Rider. And he would obviously get a little bit more success there. He won the television championship and Mm -hmm. uh, he teamed with his sister and Baby Doll in mixed tag team matches. And uh, you mentioned he was married to Baby Doll. I I was just gonna I was just gonna go there. Yeah covered that when we were talking family because of course that came later but they were married uh, for I don't remember how long but they had two kids. Yeah, I want to say 87 to 93 or 94, um, somewhere along those lines. And, and since we are going down that path, it is worth mentioning that, again, from multiple sources, his relationship with Baby Doll and maybe the way he acted during it didn't do him any favors. Um, according to Tony Schiavone, he would kind of get into Baby Doll's ear and tell her, you shouldn't put up with this. You should ask for more money. And that really didn't get him in well and Arn Anderson tells a specific story where apparently he and some of the boys wanted baby doll to get them some food it was late at night or something along those lines and you know she was going to go get it and Sam Houston said they should go get their food themselves and when they found out that that's when the the guys requesting the food didn't get it and found out that's what happened um you know he would eventually be gone from the territory soon thereafter, (laughs) whether or not that was the only event that caused it, who knows. Um, But it does seem like, I mean, he was opening cards and she was very high up on the card and probably getting paid more relationships in wrestling, as they say, are Mm. are not always going to work out. Um, So, yeah. You know, I saw baby doll at an indie show a few years ago and she was, you know, just there signing autographs. But her daughter was wrestling on the card, and I don't remember what name she was using, but I didn't realize at the time that would have been her and Sam Houston's daughter. They did not mention 
that she was Sam Houston's daughter, but of course Sam right. wasn't there, right. so what have you. But you know, I didn't realize that at the time that that's who that would have been. Right. And um, so also against uh, there, like I said, the mixed tag team matches were against Bull Payne and Samantha Payne. So we are definitely revisiting Bull and Samantha Payne. It's All right. Um, he would return to WCW uh, in the summer of 1993. He would be facing Frankie Lancaster and he would wrestle in dark matches, teaming with Mike Starr. And uh, he would also be teaming with Mike Starr against Harlem Heat, which they obviously lost. <laughs> uh, he was defeated by the Honky Tonk Man, both in WWF and WCW, which is probably not the greatest accolade uh, to your career. But he would uh, finish up there in September 26, 1994. His match against the Honky Tonk Man was his last match, so maybe that ticked him off too. And uh, from there, he was on the independent circuit uh, where, where he, he still is. And, you know, before Leonard kind of takes the reins here, uh, we mm -hmm. should mention that he did have demons in his life. Uh, Bruce Pritchard talks about that, but he talks about how, you know, I don't think those demons were really bothering him when he was in WWF. Um, but in the article that I read, uh, Pro Wrestling Stories, he talks about how he had issues with drinking and uh, eventually he would, uh, you know, try to commit suicide. And, you know, it's, it's a sad part of his story, but not the end of it because he would uh, kick out as they say, and uh, he would uh, find religion. And from what I can see, he has a very good relationship with, uh, with his daughters and, uh, you know, based on what Leonard has told me, he seems like a pretty happy guy. So yeah, why don't you talk well, before, about your interaction with him? Yeah, well, before before I talk about that, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, we, we didn't talk a, a lot about his, his some of his matches, his actual matches. I had some things there because I did watch some of his WWF stuff. I watched uh, a match against Jerry Gray in 88, which he won, against Barry Horowitz in 89, which he, which he won. A match against the Red Rooster, Ted DiBiase, Big Boss Man, and I did watch a promo of him uh, and uh, Danny Davis, Davis with Jimmy Hart, and in that promo, he is Houston is very stumbling and fumbling with his words, and Jimmy Hart calls him out on it, says, "You know, are you tongue tied? Like it's so bad that Jimmy has to point it out right. so he could draw heat." And Sam actually says, "Hey, I'm in front of twenty thousand people, I get a little nervous." And I think that was one of the biggest problems with Sam Houston right. was he was way too nervous and was way too awkward in the ring. Of all the men, I would say he had good quickness. He had nice arm drags, nice arm bars, nice drop kicks. Uh, he's not near the ring general that Jake Roberts is, his brother. Because right. there was a few times where Houston just looked kind of lost as to where he should go or what he should and would just... Uh, kind of lose it you know you could see the mind kind of blank and then at least two of them where he fumbled big time right where right. where you could tell that they either tripped each other up or he didn't duck enough and they ended very very awkwardly i would like to say a, a cool spot in the horowitz match i watched was barry had him down a boston crab and sam pats horowitz on the back 
he thinks it's the referee saying, okay, okay, Barry, let go. You won. And he lets go and he celebrates. And then uh, Sam comes back and hits the bulldog and wins the match. And I had never seen that before, but I thought that was a brilliant <laughs> way to break the crab when he didn't have any other way to do it, uh, to kind of trick him into uh, breaking the hold. I really, I really enjoyed that. So the reason I wanted to talk about Sam Houston is that uh, a few weeks ago at the time of this recording, friends of the show, Dan and Ronnie and I went to uh, an indie show in Lancaster, Ohio by Premier Wrestling Association. And we went because Jimmy Hart was advertised to be there. And he was very nice. And we talked to him and got pictures and all that. And then during the show, the second match of the night was for their version of the U.S. title. And the champ comes out, and I don't remember his name, but he's wearing a shirt that says, I beat Sam Houston. I actually took a picture of that and and texted it to Chad. And uh, we were all like, that's really cool. Like, we want that shirt. So the champ lays out his opponent, beats him up. He can't wrestle. He He can't meet the bell. So the promoter comes out the owner of the promotion comes out and he says well since he can't wrestle i've got a substitute opponent for you and i can't remember if i said it or ronnie said it man it would be cool if it was sam houston and it was sam houston he comes out this is the loudest pop i've probably ever heard at an indie show and again there wasn't more than 250 people 250 people He's playing the crowd great. There's a lot of stalling from the heel to start. There's a lot of pre-match stuff. They get into it. Sam wins with the Bulldog. Um, Cuts a nice promo to the crowd. Although we're pretty sure that he said something about the fine people of Lansing, Michigan, even though he was in Lancaster, Ohio. Uh, and after they went to intermission right after that. So we got to talk to Sam, get pictures with him, uh, autographs. So nice. So very cool. I was actually wearing the strike force shirt that you got me last Christmas and the promoter came up to talk to him and said, Oh, strike force. That's a cool shirt. And Sam was like, Oh yeah, I used to party with those guys all the time, man. <laughs> and how he was friends with Rick and Tito. Of course they were there at the same time. Uh, so, but he was very neat. And, one thing I wanted to mention, because Dan, Ronnie and I got to talking, is how do you have Sam Houston, but you don't promote him? And, and then we thought, well, Jimmy Hart's going to bring you in as many people as Jimmy Hart's going to bring you in extra. Sam, too, probably isn't going to do that much more for you. But if you have him as a surprise and he comes out, we went ballistic. Like all three of us were, were like, I didn't realize how huge of a Sam Houston fan I was until right now (laughs) because he wasn't announced and you've got all these people. It was a fun show. We all had a great time. Was it the best wrestling I ever saw on an indie show? No, but it was a really fun show. It's probably one of the most fun shows I've been to and people are going to go home happy and they're going to tell friends about that. And you're going to think next time they have a show, Hey, who knows who's going to be there? We got to go because you don't know what they're going to do. So I thought that was great booking. Once we talked it out, we were like, yeah, this is actually pretty smart booking uh, on their part. And another thing I want to say here is that after watching everything we watched, and again, I only saw this one match and this one appearance by Sam, I would say he's better now at the age of 58 than he was 30-some years ago. He looks better, I think. He has actually put on some muscle definition. 
because you know how when people get older, like the muscles kind of get heavier, they have like a bulkier look to them. So he looks bulkier. He has a, a goatee, which kind of hides the baby face. There's some gray in that, some gray in his hair. He he dresses like Terry Funk, <laughs> and he has this very grizzled cowboy look, and he looks good. And the number one thing, as opposed to back then to now, Sam Houston was a baby face, but you didn't really see him smile. He wasn't smiling a lot in the promos in the ring. He had an ear-to-ear grin. I'm sure Chad, because I sent it to him, he will put for you on YouTube to watch right now the picture of me and Sam Houston together. I'm sure that's popping up right now. There you go. And you can see the smile on, on Sam's face. It's almost as big as mine, being with Sam Houston. Uh, note, I sent that to my wife. I had no idea who he was, but she said I look like a kid on Christmas morning. <laughs> and, and that joy that he had being there and interacting with the fans and being in the ring, that was a joy and exuberance you do not see during his main career in the matches and promos that we've talked about so far. And I think that was a huge, huge difference for him. And a lot of that probably had to do with the demons that you were talking about, the alcoholism and those types of issues that he's, you know, past that. He did talk a lot about having found Jesus and putting faith in the Lord and all of this. And um, I should uh, show the Sam Houston card I got. There you go. Which encourages people to join Sam Houston Fan Nation on Facebook. And I would encourage everyone to do that. But the bottom of the card has a Bible verse. It's it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he's very much giving that message when he goes when he goes out and i'm not saying that anyone would do this but i think you could get a three or four month program out of sam if you brought him in as this grizzled veteran one last shot uh maybe you 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 announce him he's a a trainer or you do some sort of special legends night nwa would do this i think the nwa could do this and do it successfully i don't know about anybody else but I would love to see Sam Houston get a shot somewhere because I honestly think he's probably the best that he's ever been. And again, he's not as fast as he used to be. And there's only so much he can do in the ring. Man's 58 years old. But the energy and the passion and the joy he has, I think, makes him better than he was as physical prime. And again, this is off just seeing him at one indie show but as you can tell i was thoroughly impressed well that's good to hear um and you know AEW has used legends as well they uh you know in various forms um but i agree that it would probably make more sense in terms of legacy and his history to show up on nwa television or whatever they have these days anyway and yes hour i know is somewhere um but uh but yeah that's really great to hear and i i do remember the fact that he did look really happy and i didn't even put the connection about how you didn't really see him smile too much in his younger days um maybe because of all the pressure that he was under and the fact that whatever he was doing outside of the ring partying whatnot and uh you know kind of trying to live up to his uh his family's legacy and the fact that he was not as big as everybody else and, you know, trying to move up the card, all that stuff I'm sure played a part in it. Whereas now I think he's just enjoying life more. Yeah. You know, not to speak for him, of course, but 
No. I mean, he recently got remarried. He mentioned that. And his wife was there. And his wife was, you know, was helping out with, you know, handling the money at his table. But she seems to uh, do a lot of the stuff on the Facebook page because I did join the Facebook page and she seems to be active on there. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, like we did, we said, we talked about his family and who he was married to. And um, he would be in prison uh, in 2005. He was sentenced to 10 years uh, for repeated DUI arrests. Um, well, let me tell you, you have to have a lot of DUIs to get 10 years in prison. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, he had had an average of two DUI arrests per year for the past 10 years before he was sent to prison. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, but like we said, uh, you know, he, he got past that. And um, he had a home near New Orleans, which was destroyed during Hurricane Katrina, uh, which is sad to hear. Um, he works in construction and uh, does a lot of uh, charity stuff uh, for the people in New Orleans, it seems. And uh, it, it's all, all good stuff, it seems, now. And uh, I don't know at which point in his career he did the music video, Leonard, but we haven't talked about that yet. Um, would you like to talk well, about said- in, into music? It's another clip that I found that I sent you, and I did find a couple interviews with him online where he talks about his foray in the music. And I guess the one daughter is also singing and and does music. The other daughter does wrestling. And uh, it is Sam in a cemetery, and he's pretty much dressed as he is on this card, and that he how he dresses now for the ring, you know that sort of of rough cowboy look, and what I call a Terry Funk kind of look, and he is i would say it's more spoken word to music than him actually singing right yeah (laughs) him talking about uh the night that he he found uh god and salvation i believe that was while he was in prison and um i did find an interview where he talked about trying to commit suicide in prison and how the noose broke he made a noose out of bed sheets or whatever and and tried to hang himself and and it broke and he said that uh I guess before he he jumped off the bed or whatever it was, he said, you know, God, this is in your hands. If you want me to stay, then you've got to save me. And it happened. And then that's that's where he found, I guess, religion from there. And this song is is about that. Or, as I said, more spoken word to music. Um, he's, he's about as, as good of a singer as Joe Exotic. Yeah. <laughs> It's true, um, but uh, he seemed to understand his strengths in the fact that he doesn't do a lot of singing, and it. it is mostly spoken, spoken word. But uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a fun footnote. Uh, yes, and the sen- the sentiment is there. The I, th- I think there's a an, an earnest emotion and feeling to to why he wanted to do that. So I wonder if he has a full album. I would like to know. Um, I don't know. He did talk about having recorded. I, I, the one clip I saw someone said about recording an, an album, and he said, "No, I have a song." So I think maybe, <laughs> yeah, it was a, a song. Yeah. Well, he is, uh, you know, one of those guys that uh, has stayed around, and uh, you know, despite the fact that I think in an interview I read with, or not read, but. Um, saw with Jim Crockett before he passed uh, he had talked about how Sam Houston had all the tools but maybe didn't you know commit himself as much and uh, it certainly seems like 
you know, he's in a better headspace these days. Um, I, I certainly think he had pretty good in-ring work. Um, you know, if you had put a, a manager with him, um, you know, maybe kind of shifted his gimmick up a little bit. I, I definitely don't think that the happy-go-lucky cowboy babyface role was a good long-term gimmick for him. I think it certainly worked in certain territories, but once you get into the WWF and WCW, you kind of have to shift your your gimmick and your character a little bit. What do you think? Larry? He should have joined the York Foundation as Samuel Houston. That, <laughs> everybody should join the York Foundation and just make it their full name. They really should. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> that would have been fantastic. And I don't even know what he would have looked like wearing a suit you know maybe a suit like you know like kind of like somebody from the show dallas like a suit with like right right like like with with the hat and the bolo tie type of thing yes yes we have him like the jr ewing suit yeah i think we're on to something imagine if they brought him back with jbl as well oh man that that would have been money right there i'm sure i wonder what would he look look like playing a heel too um maybe yeah i don't know if i i I, did we ever read i don't think i ever read where he played a heel i think he was one i think he was face everywhere he went it it certainly seems like that if he ever did that then i i don't know yeah Uh, yeah i'd like to come on the show and talk about that he can yes well you know i'm going to uh, probably post the um the link to this to the sam houston facebook page so hopefully he will see it and sam if you do Know that we love you. I love you dearly, especially now. Uh, And I think he would probably agree with some of our criticisms about his early career. And uh, we would love to have you on and and do do an interview with you and and talk. So um, like I said, I'm a member of the Facebook page. Find me, brother, and we'll get this hooked up. Absolutely. And uh, like, so we'll cap it off here with some of his accomplishments. He was the NWA Central States Heavyweight Champion the GWF television champion, the Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion, um, the NWA ARC Louisiana Texas heavyweight championship, which is the ARC Law Tex heavyweight championship, which is a great belt name. Um, We need to put that on our belt list for Fever Dreams. I am going to look. I guarantee that's not on there. And I'm going to look it up just because I really want to know what that looks like. Um, He was the PWA tag team champion one time with charlie norris the vwa which is the virginia wrestling association heavyweight champ and the world-class wrestling federation heavyweight champion one Mm -hmm. time so thank you for joining us in our talk about sam houston if you have any memories or matches that we might not have talked about that you think we should check out please let us know uh you can listen to us on podcast form if you check out apple podcast or spotify please hit the like button on this YouTube video and subscribe to our channel. And, uh, you know, if Sam Houston subscribed to our channel, I think that'd be awesome. Just saying, but, uh, thumbs up, Sam. Right. Um, so for Leonard, my name is Chad. We will come to you with more shows in 2022, probably new ideas, new move breakdowns, all arm drags in 2022. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we will see you. Next week, Alexa will see you out.